This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Welcome to another episode of Dojo Live this Thursday, July 28th, 2022. My name is Kim Lantis, and it's my pleasure to be hosting for you today. Joining me as co-host is America Guerrero. Hey. Hey, I'm Hey, Jen. hey Kim. Hey. And today's guest, um, I, I think he's with us. He looks a little Hi. pixelated, somewhat frozen. There, we can hear you. I, my image isn't, isn't catching up quite yet, but we'll, we'll go for it. There you are. Perfect. Today's guest, the most important person of today's show is Anton Pleshitev. Pleshitev. We practiced this and now I'm murdering it. Pleshitev, <laughs> uh, who is the VP of Engineering at Bravado. Anton, thank you so much for joining us today. Can we? Are we good? Thank you for this one. We need it. Excited to be here. There it is. Perfect. I apologize. I think there is a delay. You were joining us all the way from Armenia. I think at eleven o'clock at night. So we do thank you for that. If there is a slight delay, we'll just kind of get in the habit of of waiting a bit after we finish talking uh, to to let that catch up. So we're here to talk about specifically small engineering teams and the challenges that that presents. Uh, but before we do that, we'd like to get to know you better, please, Anton. If you could please share about your background, your passion, and kind of what led up to your time with Bravado. Thank you. Of course. So this is the sixth year I'm working for Bravado. I was the first engineer in a company, so I basically built the very first proof of concepts uh, that uh, was kind of basically the backbone of the product that we are currently building. Wow. And um, I, I was actually kind of the very full stack engineer. I was doing DevOps, backend, frontend stuff, like hiring people uh, a year later and stuff like that. But um, this is not something that I was, I, I was doing since the very beginning because the background with uh, my previous companies. So on my previous company called Virul, I was working as a um, widget developer. So the company was doing something called in-text advertising. It's when you scroll some text and you see how it expands and you can see a short video. And mm -hmm. I was working on uh, the similar thing, but for mobile devices. And for mobile devices, there is a problem that there is no autoplay and stuff like that. And you have to figure out how to do this autoplay. So I basically created the, the whole codec for mobile devices uh, with a series of images. And uh, it was kind of emulating the video and uh, which kind of gave uh, the company the second stream. Uh, so you basically have the like 100% views on desktop devices, and then you have the same number of views on mobile devices, which was huge. Mm -hmm. um, before that, I was working, I was basically leading the front-end department uh, in Sales and JetRadar. It is a huge Russian company developing flight ticket search engine. You guys probably know something like Kayak, uh, uh -huh. maybe Skyscanner. It's basically... 
uh, search engine and the filters that you can apply to find cheaper flights. So I joined the company in uh, 2012. Um, I was developing some UI widgets, some uh, UI related stuff. Then I was involved in development of the new search engine. And uh, I was also living in Thailand. So the company, the interesting thing about the company is the office is located uh, on Phuket Island. And uh, as someone who was living uh, the whole life, I was living in a very northern part of, the, of uh -huh. uh, Russia. I moved to Thailand and I was living there for almost three years, uh, which is kind of an interesting experience. And um, so, yeah, this, this kind of taught me uh, a few interesting things, basically how important it is to be flexible, how important it is to be um, to be a full stack engineer, something that that is also called T-shaped specialist. When you can do like backend, frontend, you can do QA, you can go and bring some pizza, you can you know <laughs> you can be a PM, you can be a designer, so you can basically be everything. And uh, this is this is actually the culture that we are uh, focusing on at Bravada. So we are basically trying to find people like this. Okay, so that is the tactic, aha. You have revealed a little bit of insight into the topic that you chose today. Before we get to that topic specifically, let's learn a little bit more about Bravado. Uh, who, are you, who are you as a company and what's the problem that you're solving? So we are talking, we are usually uh, naming Bravado as um, GitHub for sales. So there are a bunch of vertical, also known as professional, um, social networks, for example, mm -hmm. GitHub for programmers, mm -hmm. or uh, there is Dribble for designers, or there is Doximity for doctors. Uh, it's basically a social network designed specifically for one type of job, right? right. And uh, you know what is interesting? The interesting thing is that there are about 10 to 12 million salespeople in the United States, and yet there is no professional network for them. Even though we, we, uh, we just they, take over LinkedIn, <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is this is a good example. Uh, you can also you can always mention LinkedIn, but I would say LinkedIn is kind of general purpose network because on LinkedIn you can find um, you can find you know designers, you can find engineers, mm -hmm, you can mm -hmm, find doctors, you can find salespeople. But um, I, I think we can touch it later. But on LinkedIn, you cannot find uh, a salesperson. Uh, who has experience selling for Coca-Cola, or you cannot find a salesperson with an experience of closing deals for $500,000. Or, um, so it's basically hard to kind of apply very uh, specific filters on LinkedIn. And you have to find like hundreds, thousands of people. You have to collect like, um, you have to handle hundreds of interviews to collect a lot of uh, resumes from these people. And then only based on these resumes, you have to make a decision on who to hire. On Bravado, you can do this uh, as simple as just a few clicks. You, you're basically applying a bunch of filters and you can get like, let's say you need someone um, in New York metropolitan area with an experience in food tech, you need someone who has experience with closing deals like on um, $200,000 on average with OT and base salary like this, you can apply all these filters and get a very specific set of, peop of uh, people 
or interested in joining a new company looking for a new opportunity and you can start talking to them immediately you're basically saving like months of job of, of the whole recruiting team by just using nice. the Makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a very good explanation of who you are, what you do, and why. So let's talk about the topic going back to you specifically. Jack of all trades, started out front-end engineer and all whatever else, and now you're the VP of engineering. To tell us about what? What is that topic today? The topic is challenges of a small engineering team revolutionizing sales. And the question is, how many engineers do you need to create a hit hub for sales? So please share with us more about this question. Why did you choose this topic? Why is it important for today's show? So to start with, I think we started the company in a very interesting time. We basically started the company right before the pandemic started. And uh, the pandemic applied some kind of new challenges, some kind of new limitations to what we do. And um, since we had some time before the pandemic, we were doing some decisions about how to uh, run the company, what should be the principles on which we are building the company, what um, rules we should have. Should it be like a company focused, uh, located in some uh, single place? Should it be a remote company? And I think we gave a very, so we, the answers that we uh, gave for these questions were um, right now looking at the past, I think we kind of predicted the future because uh, the very fundamental, fundamental thing that we decided is that we will build a very remote uh, centric company and it's not like remote friendly. It is um, it is remote centric, meaning that we have people all around the world, and we have everything um, shaped in a way that it is comfortable for remote employees. Meaning that every meeting, every process, every messenger, every decision is made um, taking into account that we have people all around the world. And I'm not only talking about different time zones, I'm also talking about people speaking different languages, people uh, living in different cultures, different countries, uh, having different issues. And um, when the pandemic started, we already implemented this principle and this helped us to so when the pandemic was already happening and we had like closed borders, like no traveling, our company was already adopted for this world. And for us, nothing changed. Like uh, we didn't notice that something changed. I have seen other companies like doing layoffs or like uh, doing changes to uh, make some um, remote work more comfortable. For us, we were just doing our job. And I think this was a huge advantage for Bravado. Yeah, and I think that's exactly that. Um, the challenges of the pandemic, the challenges I think of being, I love that term, remote-centric versus remote-friendly. Um, it, it's quite interesting. You, you did mention a, you know, a vast variety of, of people who work at Bravado. This isn't all roles, I'm understanding, whether that goes from the engineering team to talent and recruitment to everyone. It's completely remote-centric. So we have, uh, initially the company was kind of uh, centered around two locations. 
Uh, we had um, business located in San Francisco in, in the Wally, and we had development some, some around uh, St. Petersburg because I was living in St. Petersburg and I did our first engineering hires from my personal professional network. And since I was working with people from um, Thailand, we did some hires in Thailand and we did some hires in uh, kind of th these locations. Um, the United States started scaling in a way that, um, first of all, we started hiring not only in the Bay Area, we started hiring all across the country. So we have, I, I, it's, this is actually funny. I, I recently asked the question, what state do you guys think is the best? And I, we had people from, I guess, 12, maybe 15 states, and everyone was saying their state was the best. So um, we are remote in terms of uh, US and we are also remote in terms of world because right now, today, we already have people from um, Thailand, Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, uh, Georgia, Armenia, Nigeria, Spain, Brazil, United States, and India. I wow. guess this is- And growing. Yeah. That, that's amazing. Growing, yes. So let's go back to your perspective. You meant, you alluded to this earlier today, particularly as the VP of engineering. And you mentioned something about your goal of finding and hiring or maybe even creating specifically full stack engineers, right? These, and some might argue these unicorns. Um, but what, what would be your, if we could go back to some of the decisions as to why that's your plan of attack and how you think that that's, you know, great in order to maintain a small engineering team. And then, of course, come back to this topic of what challenges is that? What's, what problems might that present? And also the solutions that you found to, to solve them. All right. Imagine we need to build something new. We need to launch a new product. What people do you usually need? You usually need a PM to describe the problem prepare some product. I'm describing a very classic way of uh, releasing things. You need a PM who will manage the process, uh, prepare some product brief, describe the problem, and discuss the solution with the team. You need a designer who can uh, prepare a beautiful UI with like beautiful buttons, usable things. You also need some someone who can prepare front-end part of this thing, which is basically basically the HTML or uh, maybe mobile UI of the product. And you probably need a backend person who can implement some REST, uh, JSON APIs for the project. I'm, I'm talking mostly specifically about our case. Um, you will also probably need a QA person to make sure everything works right. And now you have, you end up having six people and now you need to add one more because uh, the communication becomes so hard that you need to manage and you need to spend time doing like estimations, you need to do planning, you need to do like uh, retro calls uh, and stuff like that. You also need to resolve conflicts, uh, lead discussions. And now imagine if you, if every, like if all these six roles can be combined in a single person. I know this sounds like a miracle, probably uh, it's like one out of a million, but if this is achievable, imagine all this communication happens inside ahead of this person with a speed of light. You don't need to spend days and weeks for communication, for like uh, discussions, conflicts. The person can make all the decisions, all the things. 
uh, in his own head in just a few seconds and figure out solution. And this is something that is, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm describing kind of the ideal case, but probably it is possible to find the person who can do both front-end, back-end, and QA, right? Or it is possible to find PM who can also do design and kind of uh, do these fonts. And by doing this, you are saving huge amount of time and the whole development process becomes extremely, extremely efficient. Nice. So, I mean, obviously, I think to clarify here, to find a, a six in one individual is probably near impossible, right? But your proposition would be to find, you know, a two in one, a three in one, or... Yeah, so finding six in one is is a huge luck. I, yes. I probably know just a few, and these people are super rich. Uh, so <laughs> they will not probably, they will not probably join a shitty small startup but uh, it is doable if you want to find the person who can combine two or three of these roles in a single mm -hmm. person. Um, I think we have, so for my, from my experience, if you want to hire a good engineer, you have to talk to uh, approximately 100 people. If you need to uh, find a, a great full stack person, you need to find 10 great people. So you basically need to talk to 1,000 people. So it increases the funnel for you significantly. And it's, it's not that simple. And this is why it is important not to stop your hiring process at any time. You should always filter people coming to you, talk to them, ask what they're interested in, what company they want to work for, what type of problems they want to solve. And um, at some point you will find these people. And in the meantime, you have, we hope, a great team who's able to keep things running while you wait for the individual. How, how, how do you go about knowing or your team or the process to identify that great person? Like, because I'm going to play the devil's advocate here a little bit. How do you make sure that this isn't a jack of all trades who is a master of none? Right? Does that, does that make sense, my, my question of... So, so it's not just somebody who's a little good at a lot of things, but to find the person who's really good at two or three. Like an logistic, logistic, is that the word? The logistics of it, or like how, what's the process that you, you use or your team uses to sort of search out these individuals? Maybe is there like a trick you have in um, a task or a recruitment process or a question that helps you really feel confident in your choices when you're looking for these, these stars? This is a great question. And I can share one interesting trick here. So there is, there is a popular messenger called Telegram. You know this messenger, right? And so they have a very, very small team, but they're still delivering a lot of features, a lot of uh, interesting updates. Uh, they handle like billions of messages every day. So uh, now it's a question, how do they operate at this scale? And they have just a few engineers. And the way they find these people, they are running kind of uh, a programming contest. And the uh, idea of a contest, you have to, Basically, let's say you have to build the new client for Telegram, or you need to build a new API. So you basically need to handle the whole new uh, product for them, or maybe the whole new direction for their business. And uh, the price is pretty 
impressive. You can basically win like um, tens of thousands of dollars. Like so, it is it is definitely worth trying. And I have seen very very good people coming to um, competing with each other to win the prize and uh, the kind of one of the final prizes. You can join the team, which is which is also bringing people. Uh, closer to the goal of uh, joining the team. And the company is also receiving great people. Of course, we are not uh, the company at the scale of Telegram, but I think this practice is pretty interesting in terms of getting a very, very talented people. We, The way we adopted this process for us, we took a really hard problem that we were solving internally, and we extracted this problem into a project and now every engineer who wants to join Bravado, he's kind of solving the same problem. And uh, we are estimating this uh, person uh, and we are comparing this person uh, with our own solution, our own engineers. And uh, actually, we are all only trying to hire people who did better job than ourselves. So we are trying to constantly raise the bar. That's that's very, very interesting. The idea of making a competition or even gamifying in some way your recruitment process. I had never heard of that approach before. Uh, another question I have for you, and this is touching on the, let's call it the multiculturality of your team. Um, my assumption, and correct me if I'm wrong, my assumption is that the, the language that Bravado is using <clears throat> is English, right? I'm guessing that that's your universal kind of company language correct me if i'm wrong but then also yes, what this might is be true. Some, okay and what might be some challenges that you faced in terms of just cultural differences that might not be recognized let's say individuals who come from a culture where they're accustomed to be very direct communicators who might come off as abrasive or rude to individuals who come from cultures where the communication tends to be not so direct and you have to be softer and read between the lines or cultures that come from perspectives of like leadership is, you know, an authority and I have to wait my turn and I need to be asked before I can give an opinion versus, you know, cultures where it's more likely that, you know, I expect for you to speak up and, and things like that. So what are some of the challenges that you've come across and how do you go about solving those in terms of culture? Have you seen an image showing like um, how do Americans and Eastern Europeans see the same thing? It's like something you show, many, and when, Ameri yeah. when Americans see, they're like, wow, this is amazing. This is the best thing in the world. And when Eastern Europeans see, they just say, well, this is fine. So this is kind of the difference. And um, this, it, at first glance, this can look like this is something rude or non-polite. And um, in fact, I think this is, first of all, this is fine. People quickly get used to it, but it is also important to give a very fair and direct feedback if you don't want to ruin your colleagues' efforts. So there is a book called uh, Radical Condor by, by Kim Scott describing exactly the same problem. And uh, the problem that she describes is that if you are not giving this direct type of feedback, you are probably not helping uh, your colleague, but you're basically ruining his job and uh, making it more complicated. And so, the our approach here we are um, running we, we call them uh, feedback sessions so we repeat some kind of rules so that the feedback should be direct 
you should uh, bring the problem statement. You should bring a few examples when you notice the problem. Uh, ideally, you should also bring a solution. And uh, you shouldn't like say in, in, in some kind of nice words, you should say it as is. And uh, by doing this, uh, you kind of remove these boundaries between cultures and people uh, start being more direct, more fair mm -hmm. with each other. And uh, actually, it actually helps people to fix their behavior. And I think this is something that helps us to work with this kind of multicultural thing. Yeah, and I think you're right. Like, there's the the direct communication, but I what I'm hearing that what really taking a step back and what underlies that is the team agreement, where you come into it and everybody says this is the way we do things and this is what you can expect. And I think really that might be the key. And and our team agreement is we're going to be direct. And so I I, I think I think that's that's spectacular. We're coming to the final minutes of today's show. Uh, so we've got team agreements, we've got direct communication, uh, you have um, taking your time, I think, with the recruitment process, being creative with that recruitment process, and even getting, you know, pros not prospects, but candidates sort of heavily involved in who you are before they're even um, a part of your team. What else would you say that going to the company culture of Bravado makes you unique, makes you successful? and um, is something that was another final kind of key ingredient to having a small engineering team? The answer is simple. It's just one word. It is transparency. This is something that uh, I, I would say we started from transparency. We, I was working with some of my colleagues previously, and um, we noticed that a lot of problems that we faced on our previous companies all of them were related to the lack of transparency. So for example, we had a case when people just didn't receive their salaries and then they realized the company went bankrupt. And uh, this, this was like a surprise for everyone. And uh, this is kind of the interesting consequence of uh, company not being transparent enough with their employees. Of course, company shouldn't share budgets even though Bravado does this. And uh, the approach that we are following here at Bravado. Every employee knows uh, how company is doing, what is the wrong way. Of course, this is private for company employees, but right. they still know, they still know like uh, the runway, they still know like our plans, uh, any changes. Uh, so it's, it's not that you one day you will just know that company has issues or company becomes rich. They know this, they are the first people knowing these news. And uh, transparency also helps you to build extremely high level of trust between your employees because you have no kind of secrets between uh, different departments, different people in a company. Um, I haven't seen any conflicts in Bravado. So again, I, I I, I do believe transparency is the key. That's great. Uh, and I would agree. I mean, here we utilize that with, uh, we tend to have a monthly all hands, right? Where each area of the company is given sort of a lightning talk element of they present what they, what, where they're at, what they're planning to do the, the month in, in question. And then we do that quarterly as well, right? With did we hit our goals? Didn't we hit our goals? And and general sort of announcements and things like that. Is that sort of your approach, or is there a different way in which you help maintain transparency? 
So I would say it's like, uh, I believe the way you describe it, it's like more general, like uh, here is what we planned for the uh, for this month, here is what we achieved. In Bravado, we are sharing way more uh, private data, like here is the number of users we got this month, here is the uh, revenue we made, like the plan was this big, we made this big, like there is a difference. Uh, because of this difference, here is what we're gonna do. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe it's like, it's even we, more than just sharing plans. Yeah, I, I guess maybe I didn't explain myself clearly. Yes, we do in our all hands as well present certain KPIs and is, was it a hit or a miss and how are we going to react to to whatever that was? It's it, yeah. That's great, I love it. Um, so final words of wisdom. Um, in your time here uh, starting out Bravado, what did you do? What would you say that you as, as a, one of the leaders has done correctly, or even as a company, what have you done right? And what is one thing that maybe looking back you could have or should have done differently? I believe the best thing that I did is I managed to bring amazing people to the company because everything that is done at Bravado is done by uh, our people. And if I brought the wrong people, the it was just a different product, you know? And the people that are currently working at a company, I see such a such an impact and uh, such a huge contribution. I, uh, here, is this, here is a funny story. I was traveling with uh, one of engineers and uh, we were driving all day long and um, closer to the evening, we had a few beers and I was like scrolling my feed. And he was doing something in front of his computer for a few hours. I was like, well, what are you doing? He was, well, I'm fixing something for SEO because I think it's super important for us to, it is super important to be fixed uh, in the next few days. I was super impressed by this. It's like, it is the true um, involvement in the process and uh, it is the contribution that uh, we are getting from our engineers. The loyalty. Loyalty, and exactly. Loyalty and going above and beyond, I think, mm -hmm. is congratulations. Congratulations. Very great. Well, thank you. We come to the end of our half hour today. Anton, thank you so much for spending your valuable time with us at the wee hours of the night. <laughs> we, we certainly appreciate it. I, I wish you as well as Bravado nothing but success. Stay with us just one more, a few minutes after we go off air. But before we do, America, we have a special announcement for what's happening tomorrow. What's that? Yes, tomorrow we're going to have a panel. Accessibility, the future of tech. And this conversation, we're going to have it with Jennifer Porcel. She is the lead product designer at The Last Game Board. Estefania Anaya, UI UX designer at Encore. And Luis Talamante, UI UX designer at Encore. That's right. Um, this is part of an extension of our People Matters panel as we're diving deeper into DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion here at Dojo Live, where tech companies can learn and apply those elements as well. So catch it at 12 o'clock Pacific. Thank you, Anton, one more time. And everyone, till tomorrow, stay safe. Thank you. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com. <laughs>